Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon Supplemental. Yes, this is a 5S, and we have a guest today, as we often do on Supplementals. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Dave. How are you? Great. You want to give the uh, usual um, still unbelievable uh, call sign and ways to get in touch? Uh, sure. So it's likely that uh, I'm going to say things on this episode that some or everyone listening hates. Uh, if you want to send me hate mail, you can reach me at reasonpress at gmail.com. And if you want to hear more of me uh, so that you can hate further, uh, you can find me at Still Unbelievable. I co-host that show with Matthew Taylor and... Uh, Hopefully you'll come and subscribe and, and listen and enjoy the content. Excellent. And if you would like to send me hate mail, that would be reasonpress at gmail.com. Um, right. <laughs> oh, dot forward, RC. I see. <laughs> no. Got it. Um, uh, skeptics and Seekers uh, dot squarespace com is the website skeptics and seekers at gmail.com you can join the dump, uh, conversation uh, visit the website sign into your discuss, discuss account and discuss away today we are talking about important topics no no you don't understand I'm not saying that what we're talking about is important although it is the subject is important topics what are the topics of importance today. I think it's good for every generation to take stock of this at least once in their lives. And I, and I will cop to the fact that I have not done so. I have not kept my eye on what is important in the current day, whatever that day is. I tend to be in my own insular bubble. And I know that what is, you know, important to me is not necessarily what's important to the broader society. So I want to look at things that are important today, but I want to do more than that because you can do that by just looking at trends on Twitter. So I am told by my co-host today, um, for those who actually look at Twitter, I want to know not just what is important, but what should be important and why. What should we be focusing on? our attention own. Now, originally I had uh, invited uh, Tara, of all people, to have this conversation with me because I think she has her finger on the, the social and cultural pulse much more than I do, probably much more than a lot of us. And she would give a lot of answers that I would not give and would not agree with, uh, agree with. But, you know, part of this process is getting outside of my own little bubble. Uh, to see what's important. So Tara, if you're listening uh, and get get well, you and your family, uh, our thoughts and more thoughts are with you. Uh, we can still have this conversation because I've got a feeling that if we have it with you, it's going to be really different <laughs> than the conversation uh, that I'm about to have with Andrew. So uh, with that out of the way, uh, just consider that my opening statement, SNS style. Andrew, do you have an opening statement before we dive right in? Well, maybe one correction. So I think it's possible to use uh, Twitter 
to measure what people think are important, but it's probably gonna require more work than just a casual scan of your Twitter feed. So Twitter provides an API uh, that allows you to access thousands or millions or even tens of millions of tweets. And you can provide, you can do sentiment analysis against that body of tweets and not only discover what people are talking about the most, but how uh, the percentages of people talking about it feel about whatever the subject is, right? And so while I think you can use Twitter, uh, you probably can't do it just through uh, some sort of visual analysis. It probably takes more work than that. And you also would have to sort of accept the premise that what people are talking about is something that they think is important. Mm. Okay. All right. So um, neither Andrew and I have uh, a lot of preparation for this show. I'm, I'm guessing that's true of Andrew. <laughs> I know it's true of me. I had intended to do uh, a lot more prep. Uh, I've done some thought about it and I realize man, there's, there's so much I don't know. And so part of the reason I'm doing this show is for my own good. I'm, I'm an audience member more than I am uh, a host here. But I hope that this sparks a broader conversation on the board. And so don't, don't think that I am done with this topic uh, at all because I'm genuinely pursuing uh, the, the question of what should be occupying space in my head and in our heads uh, at large. So I want to start uh, someplace easy, Andrew. Uh, I'm not going to start in the obvious place. I'm going to start in the easy place. Celebrities. Okay. Uh, celebrities. Uh, I, when, I, when I wrote news at, a, at one particular place, I was one of the things I had to do was keep up with the celebrity beat. It was not something I asked for. But everyone had to do it. And the reason uh, why is because it got a lot of clicks. It, it just, it was very clicky. People, anything with a celebrity in it, especially a celebrity with a bikini, uh, that, I was going to get the clicks. But just celebrities in general. And I was taken aback um, at that time just by just how popular celebrity news was and how much it could drive a site. Um, and I, I never understood that, you know, this might be my own mental dysfunction, but I've never been a terribly social person and I've never given much of a damn about what was going on in someone else's life. I just don't care. And so, uh, you know, what, what did Tom Hanks have for breakfast this morning? I don't care. I don't, I don't care. Um, do, do you, I, so here's the thing. It doesn't matter whether we do, a huge portion of the population does seemingly all the time. Now, I would say that's frivolous, and we shouldn't care. If you look at the, the whole ladottery with the queen and her passing, God save the king, um, or long live the king, what are you supposed to say? Anyway, someone tell me. Um, you know, it seems like... Uh, 
a certain group of people just kind of lost their minds and they, they got all lost in the ceremony of it. And it seems to me like the Royals are just kind of a, you know, a, a microcosm of all celebrity and, you know, how, why we seem to be crazy about it. So um, I'm, I'm curious, do you have any celebrity curiosity? But more than that, what is going on? M- might, might there be something important going on that maybe you and I are missing with regard to celebrity? Because the whole world can't be wrong, can they? Oh, well, um, is it possible for the whole world to be wrong about popularity? I guess not. (laughs) (laughs) It it just seems to me that there's something fundamental and human going on uh, that I I have always dismissed. But if there's something, you know, more than the surface, if there's something fundamental, fundamentally intrinsic about celebrity watching. I want to know what it is. Well, I'll tell you that Matthew Taylor and I talked just the other day about the passing of the queen. And the reason I care and the reason uh, he shared that he, uh, that he cared is broadly the same. Queen Elizabeth was seen as uh, a good monarch, right? Maybe she wasn't perfect, but by and large, she stood the test of time as Western cultures goes. And there's some hope in celebrating her passing that we can celebrate her virtues and hope that those virtues will continue in the British monarchy. So I think to the extent that her popularity is based around uh, human values that we want to pass on, it's reasonable to celebrate her passing. Okay, so I can appreciate that, but whether she was a good monarch or a bad monarch, we would have still watched her all the same. In fact, she may have been even more popular if she was a bad monarch who set off with their heads uh, more often. I mean, it would still be a part of celebrity watching and a funeral would be just as big. And so there's, you know, I don't know if the monarchy monarchy is a good... The monarchy, uh, is that what you said? It's one of those days. I don't know if that's a good uh, stand-in for... Uh, Western celebrity or not, but it seems like the closest thing we have to monarchy is actually not political power, but but celebrity power. Uh, these are people that we watch for no good reason, that we follow along, uh, follow around with cameras for no good reason, that we um, and and we their lives are under a microscope in a really creepy way for reasons that I can't tell. And so it seems to me that whether the Queen was good or bad, she would have still been a celebrity. I think that misses my point, though. So, yes, she'd have been, well, the question is not whether she'd have been a celebrity, but how she would have been celebrated. So, serial killers have followings. 
but in many cases, we're not celebrating the fact that they killed a lot of people. What we are doing is educating ourselves on a peculiar part of the human condition. Mm -hmm. And so had Queen Elizabeth been evil, and I guess the British monarchy has had some evil monarchs in the past, we study history uh, so that we either repeat or don't repeat the best or worst parts of it. I think it's fair to say that as a, a part of the British monarchy, uh, she's part of history, and because of how she reigned for the last 70 years, uh, that reign has significance. Okay, but would you say the same about other celebrities? Well, um, I mean, they're if we they're talk in the about other celebrities who are royalty. Um, but okay, I mean, they're they're in the public eye. Uh, they're people that get talked about a lot. Uh, you know, we have posters of them hanging up on our walls if we're 16. Um, you know, we dress like them, we talk like them. Uh, lines from their movies become a part of uh, culture. Uh, we, you know, watch their marriages and then divorces and marriages and divorces and marriages and divorces. Uh, we, you know, we, we seem to hang on their every move so is, yeah. would you, would you, why, why couldn't you say the same about, about them? Well, I couldn't because I don't particularly care about their marriages, but it doesn't mean that others don't. Um, so one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to tease apart here is what things are important to people versus what I think underlies some of your questions, which is what should be important to people. Not what is, but what should be. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm looking at both. Um, I, I just started with celebrity because it's just obvious that it's a thing that takes up a lot of headspace in yeah, our And this world. was the easy one you said. Yeah, this is the easy one. <laughs> and I, whereas my answer is, hell no, it's not important. Uh, that's just me, and I don't. I don't know that on a on a thought show like this, I'm willing to just dismiss the intuition of so many millions of other people who think that celebrity watching is extremely important. So, I wonder. I'm thinking about the college admission scandal for a moment. Uh, so, do you, are you familiar with it? Uh, so I'm, I'm familiar with, uh, a, a few things, uh, that are associated with that. I, I know that they're, uh, within the last several months, some famous someone, uh, was caught paying, uh, uh, colleges to, you know, let their, get their child into the school. But this is something that's been happening for a long time. The, the rich and powerful have always done that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So, so there have been people that have served jail time and, uh, you know, it's been a big deal. Okay. So these are famous people. And I read some of the college admission scandal articles. 
when they popped up in my newsfeed. Now, is that the same as following uh, a, a popular celebrity? In my case, I guess not, because I can't remember the names of any of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> I got I a feeling that you and I are probably the wrong, the wrong experts <laughs> to talk about this. <laughs> uh, does, is there a Lori? I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know any of the people's names. I don't remember the name of the guy that set the thing up. I don't remember the names of any of the coaches. I, was Yale part of it? I think Yale was part of it. Anyway, <laughs> I think it is interesting to have followed the college admissions scandal, not for the celebrities, but to understand what money and power can do for you that the rest of us don't have access to. You know, I was thinking the same thing. Um, the only interest in celebrity watching that I have ever had is just one of hate watching because for me it's, these are all of the things that the wealthy and well-placed get away with that I would go to jail and be murdered for. So, it, you know, it's, it's a kind of a, a class system, if you will. I won't say a caste system so much. Uh, I don't know. Although with, a, with the way wealth happens in America, you're, you're kind of born into it or you're born outside of it. And it's, Really hard to cross those lines, but not impossible. I guess that's what keeps it from being a caste system. But um, there's, there is a, a strong class system with some really difficult borders to cross. And if you are born on the right side of the border, you don't have to worry as much about legality. Uh, you know, you can you can do things. You can get away with things. You can be lazy, and your trust fund will still get you a board seat on a company, and you're still going to inherit the company and become a CEO. Uh, you're still going to get in a, into a college uh, where you didn't earn entrance, and uh, you're going to get a degree that'll take you far. Um, so it's it's I, I find it really um, unproductive to celebrity watch for me because it's just just kind of pisses me off. I'm not jealous. I, I want to be clear. I don't want to be one of them. But, I, but it is a constant reminder and in your face of how they're them and you're not. And we have different stratas of society and different rules for those stratas. We do. If you and I were caught uh, with highly sensitive classified documents, in our possession, even if we had been government employees with the popular clearance, with the, not with the popular, with the necessary clearances to gain access to those documents. If we put them in a box and took them home and we were caught with them, we'd be in jail. Yeah, no, no question. No, no lawyer we hired could get us out of it. <laughs> just, no. um, uh, 
you know, it would be the federal country club rather than the state country club. So, uh, yeah, that's that's what celebrity does for me. So I, whereas it's easy because it's so popular and I don't understand it, I'm I'm just putting some of my thoughts out there, and I hope that someone in the comments might clue me in on the social aspect of celebrity that makes it important enough to take up as much headspace as it does. Uh, but my own personal recommendation is that we should care a lot less about what's happening in the lives of quote unquote famous people and be more interested in what's happening in the lives uh, around us immediately. And that takes me to my next one. Um, but before I do, would you, you want to you want to round robin this puppy? You want to you want to bring up uh, a topic that you think is important or that you want to challenge uh, its Ooh. importance? Okay, a, a topic that I think is important. Um, the face of global politics, geopolitics at the moment. I think that's important. I'm not sure that most people do. Uh, why do I think it's important? Um, Vladimir Putin just yesterday continued his saber rattling about deployment of nuclear weapons in Ukraine. Um, and one gets the sense that if he gets routed from Ukraine, he might actually try to use them. Nothing says he'll be successful. There may indeed be people in Russia who refuse to follow his directions to release nuclear weapons. But there's a lot of fear associated with his even having them. I think that's important. What do you think? All right, I'm going to, I'm just going to muddy the waters a little bit by, uh, adding my next topic to it, which was going to be also politics, but it was going to be local politics. <laughs> so uh, so what I think is I, I wish that I had some sway or influence over over world events. And I, and I know that these are things that we should be aware of, generally speaking. Um, but what I'm what I'm more concerned with than the war in Ukraine is um, local politics. Uh, someone put it this way, all politics is local. Um, and, I, and I think that's true. And I wanted to bring that up as a topic because I am particularly and always have been particularly shitty when it comes to uh, following local politics. I know more about what's going on in Ukraine than I do about what's going on in my own town. I don't know the policies of my town. I don't follow the school board. Um, I, don't, I don't follow the local goings on here. I live in New Jersey and all of my news channels are in New York. So I, I don't even get a <laughs> source of, of news that is close to me. Uh, local elections, they matter because the, the sidewalks I walk on, well, I'm not walking much these days, but the conditions of those sidewalks that affect me and the people around me uh, every day, 
are somewhat more important to me than uh, warriors say, rattling sabers uh, a half world away. Because these things immediately affect me, and those things do not. And I can have an immediate effect on these local things, and I cannot have an immediate effect on those things. So what do I think about um, being more in, involved in global news? I think it's great. I think that there should be a certain amount of one's news consumption that includes that. I think that there should be a certain amount of headspace devoted to the things that are happening in the world. But I think there should be even more space devoted to the local. I know the local is, is pretty boring. It's not very interesting. Uh, you know, it's only interesting to a, a narrow set of people by definition because it's very local. But that's where we live, you know, and those are the things that we could do something about. And it seems to me like just being too immersed in global news is like doom scrolling on Twitter. Um, it it feeds a certain kind of negative thing within us that apparently we need fed, but it doesn't do much. And and this is all coming from someone who used to be a, uh, a cable news addict. I was I was watching cable news, world news, all the time. All the, I could name all of the players. I could name, you know, the major senators and congressmen, but I had no idea who my mayor was. Uh, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. So, um, right. I don't. I don't mean to make it a competition between global and local news. I, as I say, we need we need both, and we are both. We both obviously have politics on our mind. Um. I think it's probably something we should care more about and we should probably devote more programming to in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and I know that if, you know, for people like us, podcasters, and, you know, we've got people listening to us in, in different parts of the world, no, one, no one's going to listen to a podcast on the local school board. <laughs> and so these global, these global issues are things that we as podcasters could probably uh, do well to talk about more, but I also feel pretty disconnected to it all, and I don't know how to, I don't know how to change that or develop real passion uh, about it to do a good job with it. So, t tell tell me, tell me how you do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid my following of local politics is pretty selfish. So, as you know, my girlfriend and I are setting up a a new small business and um, our area of operation uh, is surrounded by uh, federal and state forest land where the people in my neck of the woods go to hunt. And because we'll spend quite a lot of time uh, in, in these areas, I care a lot about what is going on with gun control. Uh, I don't mean I don't want these people to be able to hunt. I mean, I want the people hunting to have to demonstrate that they can be responsible with killing sticks. Mm. Okay. Now, gun control is a much bigger issue, right? Sure. But I'm aware that I'm not going to get out of gun control what I would personally like. 
So can we be more responsible? I hope so. And local politics plays into that. I think your listeners know by now that I have a young daughter. I care about the reproductive rights discussion. Yes, I'm, I mean abortion in part, but I don't just mean abortion. And so for those people who uh, want to talk about abortion, it's a, it's a larger discussion than just abortion. And local politics, uh, at least if you consider state politics, the local level, which I, which I think maybe you did, I, um, I do. Then, right, then I'm concerned uh, about those policies. Um, I care whether they raise taxes because we're starting this small business, right? But do I care about all of the local politics? No, I'm pretty selfish about the amount of time I spend on local politics and what exactly I care about. Right. And the thing is, uh, the thing about local politics is it is local. It is selfish, again, by nature, because it's the stuff that's happening around us. So, for instance, if I were to read a newspaper, I wouldn't read a Georgia newspaper to see what was going on around you. I don't care. <laughs> it's, that's your problem. <laughs> You're, uh, I mean, sorry, it's not like I don't care about you and your family, but you and your family sure. live where you choose to live, and I live where I choose to live. And, you know, I would love to um, have a better sense of what's going on in uh, in France, you know, where some of our... Uh, listeners and, and co-hosts might live, or, or England, or uh, other parts of Europe, but that's not the local politics that I care about, and I'm never going to care. About, I'm never going to read a newspaper from there. <laughs> so um, it is, it is, of course, selfish by nature. And somehow, when you're looking at global politics, you can feel a little less selfish. You know, you can feel a little bit more community oriented because these are things that everybody can care about you know no matter no matter where you are in the world everybody should care about a war even if the war is not on your doorstep it, it could be right and um so these these things matter these are larger issues affecting humanity so I uh, this is this is why you know partly why I have tended toward the the splashier global uh, politics. And I, so I just want to say again, I agree with you. It is important. And we should, we should um, develop our humanity further by understanding what's going on in a broader sense that affects all humanity, right? This, this would be the, the, the global stuff. But I feel like we're also not doing society any favors if we don't uh, follow and participate in the place where we actually are and where our vote actually would count. I don't even know what the issues are here to vote on. So what would make you care more about local politics. I suspect that one of the things would be 
how many people it influences. How egregious are the local politics um, as it's compared to national or international politics? Um, how much is the outcome likely to affect you if, if the tide turns one way or the other? Local politics, I think, tend to have a, a smaller effect on our day-to-day -day lives than we perceive global politics to have. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's always right, but I think that's the reason we care more, uh, or at least the people that I know, care more about global politics than they do local politics. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a resolution right here on mic in in public uh, because I don't know what would make me care, but maybe what would make me care is just diving into it. So uh, my commitment is I'm going to read one local newspaper per week. Not the whole thing. The whole thing. Uh, You're I mean, crazy. Not per day. No, that's not. I mean, that's not going to happen. Uh, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to find a source, an online source of a of a newspaper or something like that, um, and I'll read a a newspaper's worth of local news every day. Uh, so that that's not going to involve me going to a newsstand and buying an actual paper. But I'm gonna say you live relatively close to the gray lady. That doesn't count. No, it doesn't. That, that actually, I, I would agree with you entirely. And if I were trying to cheat, that's what I would do. <laughs> so, Good luck getting through it in a week. Yeah. No, Have I you don't, seen that thing? I don't know how people read newspapers every day. There are people who subscribe to newspapers and actually read them. I used to sell newspapers. I was, uh, I was in the circulation department of the Oregonian newspaper in, uh, in Oregon. And... Um, I talked to a lot of people who read the paper. They had opinions about the articles. They they would get pissed off, you know. They would, and I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about, man. I I glanced at the coupon that was twenty dollars off at Safeway. I don't. That's, that's what I use the paper for. Um, so I'm never going to be that person, but I am going to commit uh, starting this week. And uh, I'll check in uh, with the audience every now and then, be honest about how I'm doing. And I will find a local news source online and read the equivalent of one full newspaper per week. And, uh, and we'll see if it helps me to care about something that, at least in my heart, I believe I should care about. Have you seen the local subscriber numbers? No. Well, you know that local newspapers are dying on the vine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they are they Just, are dying. Although I, does it mean that fewer people are keeping up with local news, or does it just mean that the medium of newspaper is dead? Oh, so I actually think it means both. Hmm. I think that because local newspapers are dying, and because local news is uh, to use your phrasing less splashy, mm -hmm. right? I think it means that when they publish local news on the web, it gets less views today than it used to when there was a, a thriving subscribership to local papers. Uh, this is off the cuff, so I could be completely 
wrong. Yeah, because it, it could also mean that once upon a time the newspaper was the only way we had of knowing certain things. You know, the the, the scores of the softball game. Um, for instance, the, the, the Junior League uh, <laughs> football game, it would have been a local paper. These days, uh, you, can, you can just glance on your smartphone if you care about that. You don't have to read a paper to get the same information. Look in your Facebook feed or no, your next door. No, I will not. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying that so much local news uh, trickles in now in ways that it didn't used to. Right. And so and news, I think newspapers that's why people are, don't use papers. Newspapers are unsustainable. It's, it's a, but it, I think it might be a little bit like looking at vinyl record sales and saying, ah, you see, music is dead. No, it's not. More people are listening to more music than ever. They just don't have to go to a music store to get it. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm just putting this out as a possibility. I don't know if more people don't care about the news or whether, whether it's just the medium of newspaper. Uh, I, I agree with you that it might be both. And the reason I would agree with the both part is because voter numbers seem to get lower and lower uh, all the time. You know, there may be some years where voter turnout is a little bit higher than the last year. But if you, you know, if you graph it over time, it just keeps getting smaller. It keeps shrinking. And I think that that is a um, trailing indicator, uh, actually, of how, how people relate to news. Fewer Fewer people are involved with it. And maybe there's a deeper question of, why fewer people seem to be involved with local news? Uh, you know, it'd be um, it'd be interesting, I think, to superimpose voter turnout numbers on the fall of the popularity of Christianity hmm. in the United States, and then see if there are any. Is there a relationship there, and what is causing the correlation? So, if there is in our audience, I get the sense that you know Tyler and uh, maybe Sarah. I'm I'm guessing that they're local news readers for their because they they seem to know things. <laughs> they, they know things about things that you know I don't know and wouldn't have wouldn't have looked at. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought to find that piece of information and. Uh, they strike me as readers, and so Sarah Tyler, um, do you care about local news? How do you how do you do it? How do you sustain it? Um, who else in the audience uh, cares about news and maybe cares about global news more than local news? Because uh, I'd like to find someone uh, like me out there, so I don't so I don't feel as bad about myself <laughs> as I as I do. Because on this, I the only reason I wanted to bring this topic up was to just air my hypocrisy in public. I really believe it's important to be involved in local politics. And I have never been able to bring myself to do it. So rather than rejoining, I'm betting that you've got more on the chalkboard. I do. Uh, so I will, I will just go to the one where, you know, that we both have on our board. I, I was saving it for later in the show, but 40 minutes in, this is later in the show. Um, religion, 
is important. Religion is important. I can I can make that statement not just because my uh, you know my life is filled with the misspent youth of studying religion. <laughs> okay, I I can never get that back, and so that is what I am. It is my identity, uh, pro or con. Uh, I have been in religion all of my life. The religion business is uh, is a part of who I am, and I've I've tried to put it down, and I can't. When I was a person of faith, I tried to put it down, and I couldn't. And as a person of not faith, I wanted to put it down, and I can't. You and I have had this conversation uh, in private, uh, and you know we've we've talked about you know my failed attempt to get out and just focus on my you know my life outside of religion. But I don't have much of a life outside of religion. I mean, there there are things that I could focus on and that I could do. I have you know, other interests, but this is one that seems so tied to who I am that I, I have no idea what I would be if I, if I actually put it down. So I'm, I'm saying all that to say it's not just because of that that I think that religion is important, but you can make your own decisions about that. I actually think that religion is important in and of itself, and whether I ever put it down or not, is irrelevant. Someone should always uh, pick up the baton and carry it uh, along the way. And if you if you want to have just a very short uh, answer to why religion is important, <laughs> I have two words for you: Donald fucking Trump. I st- I said that was two words, and I'm sticking by it. I heard an interesting podcast uh no sorry it was a news article so this uh news writer i don't remember who it was my apologies uh, i can try to find it so that you can link it in the show notes if it turns out you care oh no i don't <laughs> look i i promise to link things in the show notes all the time and then i don't write the show notes ah. so if if you like okay. yeah whatever you're gonna say i'll link it in the show notes people <laughs> Really, this time I'm gonna make it happen. All right, go ahead. So this was this was over on CNN, and it, there's the the no true Scotsman fallacy written all over this article. I was a little surprised that it got published, but this person had discussed uh, conservative evangelical Christianity, and said that evangelical Christianity um, has become a a sort of negative term, but it didn't used to be. And in uh, some parts of the world, it's still not. So you can go to uh, some countries in Africa, for instance, and if you ask them about evangelical Christians, they may not be able to tell you what evangelical Christianity is, but they can tell you that it's the evangelical Christians that are providing the bulk of their health care. And so evangelical Christianity is not to blame for Donald Trump's uh, election and potential re-election. 
And I thought that it, uh, I thought that it missed the point because it is pretty obvious whether you like that the term has shifted in the United States or not, that how it is used here differs from how it's used elsewhere. And that it is those people who would, con who would claim to be conservative Christians who are largely responsible for his election. So let me uh, throw a stat at you that I have no intention of backing up right now. Um, the largest voting bloc in America is uh, conservative Christian voting bloc. Um, I'm, I'm not going to throw any backup in there because it's obviously true. It has been true for a long time. And if someone uh, wanted to Google it, they would be able to easily find it. Now, that doesn't mean that it's 51%, but it's, uh, it's the thing when you have like three or four different sets of things and one is larger than the other. Um, so it's, it's like that. Uh, there's a word for it. Can't, can't think of it, but, uh, conservative Christianity is, uh, the largest voting block in America by far. In fact, um, it's huge. And there is a reason for that. There's a reason for that. And, um, bear with me as I, uh, talk about this a little bit. This is uh, one of the things that I recognized when I was a conservative. You see, I used to be a um, conservative Christian and a conservative voter as well. I was a young black Republican, one of those guys. Um, sorry. But uh, the, uh, the thing that I observed, and that others you know, observed as well, is that the Republicans could make things happen because they had a large voting block. The, the Christians could make things happen because they had a large voting block, block and therefore power. And so none of the representatives of the Republican Party could ignore the Christian right. It couldn't be ignored because if, if a person doesn't have the endorsement of the Christian right, they don't have the endorsement, uh, period. Uh, can't do it. On the liberal side... There is no powerful voting bloc. Um, you might recall during the time uh, that uh, Jesse Jackson was was running, uh, you know, a lot more in the in the mix of presidential uh, candidates. Uh, he, he talked about the Rainbow Coalition, but it is a true thing that the uh, Democratic Party in America is not made of one or two strong voting blocks. It's a coalition of lots of small interests. Uh, gay rights, uh, 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 race, uh, civil rights, uh, anti-gun control, pro-choice, uh, uh, just a number of uh, different constituencies, uh, environment, the environmental uh, crowd would be another, uh, recycling and that sort of thing. So it's, it's a coalition of lots of little pieces. No one piece in the Democratic Party has ever had a lot of power. <laughs> so um, as a result, the Democrats are very scattershot in their uh, elections, their strategies, and so forth, because they've got to try to court 
lots of groups at, at once and they can't always agree and they don't have a, a unified message. And it's a mess. It's a wonder that any Democrat is ever elected. And it's also a wonder uh, that any truly liberal Democrat ever gets any power. Um, because they're just one small voice in a, in a big coalition. The Republican Party has one or two really big lobbies. And one of them, the biggest one is Christian right. Another one is gun rights, uh, huge. And uh, the third one is senior citizens, uh, because uh, because senior citizens. <laughs> and uh, Well, uh, and now there's the school fear lobby. Look what they're going to do to our kids. Uh, yeah, you've got the anti-socialist uh um, kind of thing going on. I I actually think the um, the neo-Nazi and uh, white supremacist uh, part of the Republican Party is probably bigger than any one piece of the Democratic coalition. <laughs> That's um, and so th- this is this is the thing. the the rec- The per- Republicans can get things done and push things through because they can more easily rally around an idea. And they have one chunk of money and one chunk of voters that they all have to listen to, whether they like them or not. And that is the Christian right. And so as long as that is true, religion is always a huge issue. And this may not be true in other parts of the world. And people in other parts of the world are hearing us talk about this and they're thinking, oh, that's not really how it is here. That's how it is here. And like it or not, we rule the world. Uh, Deal with it. I don't like it any more than you do, but that's what it is. And so as long as it's important here, it's important. And it's going to affect you because you're going to get the kinds of leaders uh, from us that have to kowtow to the Christian right. It's, it's yeah. very important that voices like yours uh, and mine, Andrew, and um, all of you out there who comment, it's very important that we raise those voices in the arenas that we can not so much to deconvert people who are already converted, but at the very least, to put up a wall of opposition uh, that keeps more people from going into the bad gate. You know, it's, it's one of the things that I think Republicans use to their advantage much better than Democrats, uh, and that is the fear lever. If you want to motivate the Christian right, give them something to be scared of. Be scared of those books about sexuality because they're going to make your children gay. Uh, be scared of giving women reproductive their own reproductive rights, including abortion, because what's it going to lead to? Well, all women are just going to suddenly kill their fetuses. And, and they're just going to use it like common birth control. Um, this is, a, you know, you want to uh, you want to motivate the Christian right. Talk about climate change and increasing gas prices, and what you can actually do. <laughs> this is, we should all be amazed by this. I'm not kidding. This should amaze you that it is possible 
to motivate the Christian right to defend oil companies. We did the same thing in the tobacco wars. It was possible to motivate the Christian right to defend the tobacco companies. Here's one of the things that used to be said. You gotta die of something, it might as well be smoking. You wanna motivate the Christian right? Scare them. Yeah. Um, I, mm, fear in politics uh, is maybe a subject in and of itself, but I, I think it's something that we, we can't get away from. We're all motivated by fear. Well, man, you're not going to walk away from that fire, are you? It's nicely lit now. No, I might. <laughs> just, because, just because we're 53 minutes in and um, my day is going to require me to not do a two-hour show. But, um, yes, it. Um, look, I'm motivated by fear. Uh, you know, I will get out and vote when I'm afraid of who might win way more than to get out and vote out of optimism of who I want to win. And, and I, I don't, I don't think I'm alone with that. Look, the, the democratic party has been toothless for a while. Uh, we control the uh, executive branch and the Senate. Uh, do the Republicans still hold the house? Um, Not at the moment. Okay. So we we control three of the four branches because we don't control the judicial branch. And you might say, oh, but the judicial branch isn't political. You would just be wrong <laughs> about that. Mm. Um, so we control... Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Comey Barrett, and Neil Gorsuch were elected precisely because of their politics. Right. It's, it's a hugely political circus. But that said, you know, theoretically, we control three of the four branches we still can't pass anything. <laughs> That's By the way, I we, said elected. Uh, forgive me, everyone who just cringed. Uh, I do mean appointed, and I do know the difference. Right. And yet, I would let it go because they're elected. <laughs> they're just elected by a very small group of people. Um, so, uh, yeah, don't get me started on the judicial branch. I, uh, mm, yeah. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to. Um, so I'll just finish the thought. The Democrats are toothless uh, when we have control. The, the Senate is a joke. The Republicans still <laughs> really control the Senate. Um, they control the House. They control, I mean, it's very hard for Biden to get anything through. Th think about this, people. Roe versus Wade was overturned during a time when the Republicans had no power. <laughs> Quote, unquote. Well, no power. Yeah, right. But it was a it was a judicial decision. Now, I think there's an interesting question having to do with Roe v. Wade. It is pretty clear from the surveys that the majority of Americans and a lot of Christians. So I don't know if it's quite a majority. Well, it might be. I, I, don't, I don't know the numbers that well. But it's clear that a reasonable majority of Americans 
are in favor of Roe v. Wade. Yeah, that includes Christians. Right. I don't I, I just don't know what percentage of Christians. I don't know if it's the majority. Last I saw, yes, it was 40. like 57. OK. All right. That's a that's a fair majority. OK, here's my point. So they're not elected. I'm talking about Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Comey Barrett. They're not elected in the popular sense. But because Roe v. Wade has been overturned and because this is so much a part of American consciousness at the moment, it has made real changes in the midterm poll numbers. So I'm going to ask you to put on your prognostication hat, knowing that you only care a little bit about this, or maybe moderately uh, about national politics. Put on your prognostication hat and weigh in on whether Democrats keep control of the House, nope. the Senate, nope. or, or both nope. after midterms. And, and they'll lose the White House, too. <laughs> so... Um, Hopefully not at midterms, because that's not an election issue. <laughs> well, the way things are going, man. Um, so, yeah, no, um, we've talked about this a little bit off air, uh, just just a little bit. No, there's not a chance in hell uh, the Democrats maintain uh, any of their power. And I think uh, part of the reason is that Republicans are angrier than Democrats are right now. And uh, they have the momentum, and Roe v. Wade is going to fuel them for many years to come. Uh, you, you said a minute ago, yeah, but that was judicial. Here's the thing. Republicans have been working toward this end uh, nonstop for the last 30, 40 years. Sure. Now, this has been, their, for many of them, their sole work. And they have been tireless uh, about their incremental uh increases this has been no accident this is not a fluke but this is this is the kind of thing that a party can do when they have a strong force behind them with a with a single uh, agenda that they are motivated to bring through and so they they've been able to look at the long term and say yeah it may not be this year or even this decade but but we're going to keep pushing until we get it there's nothing in the democratic party that can that could do something similar to that because we are a coalition of idiots. Um, well, I'm, I'm being way more harsh on the democratic party than I normally feel. And I am not saying that we need to have one strong overarching dominating voice in the democratic party. I I'm glad we don't. I understand why it is the way it is. And I can appreciate that, but it's also the reason we lose. It's the reason why we can't do the kinds of things that the Republican Party can do. So I am slightly more hopeful about the impact that the overturn of Roe v. Wade will have in the midterms. Even if the Democrats lose control of the Senate and the House of Representatives, 
the margin of that loss is arguably as important as the loss itself. And there was an expectation before the overturning of Roe v. Wade that the Democrats would face a red wave in the midterms. And that looks much less likely now. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see who's angrier. We'll see who's more afraid. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling very pessimistic <laughs> about that sort of thing. But the, the, the focus that I do have and the thing that I can do something about, because it's, it's just my area of expertise, is I understand the role that religion plays in all of this. Uh, and and I can speak to that. Uh, I can't speak too much when it comes to politics. No one is going to invite me, you know, to stump speech for them. But I do see that our our ideas about religion have a direct effect effect uh, on our lives, on the lives of everybody today. Whether whether you have any ideas about religion or not, whether you think it's important or not. I assure you, it is, and it does affect you. Even if you're in another country where religion doesn't matter, it affects you because it affects this country. And this country affects your country. So um, it, it seems trivially easy, uh, obvious that religion is an important topic. Can I, can I propose one more? Um, and then you can, you can propose any, any others that you want. But I, I want to put one more on the table that I think Please. is important. Um, it's one that I don't talk about nearly enough, and I don't know that I feel qualified to talk about. Uh, as as you know, we've also discussed uh, privately, but epistemology um, is maybe the most pressing issue of today, and it's it's not the kind of topic that you know is as topical and easy to discuss as, say, a war. But it is the underlying philosophical treatment of information. And I, I think it is the most important thing in all of this. We need to have some common ground on how we identify and evaluate information. The, the Trump election happened and partly because a, a lot of people rode the wave of bad information and were, and were unable to evaluate it. And his strength grew and it is alive today because uh, that wave of bad information is still very strong. And people seem to be incapable of distinguishing good information from bad information. They, they seem to have no idea how to evaluate it. And, uh, you know, of all of the dozens and dozens of uh, debates I've had with Christians uh, publicly, I can, I can just say the thing that leaves me gobsmacked over all of it is how bad, at least in my opinion, the arguments are even from the smartest and best among them. 
and, and I think that we have an epistemological crisis uh, on our hands in the world. And it's whether you're talking about COVID or religion or politics uh, or wars, right now we don't even have the the option of debating the details of an issue because we're not getting the same details. We we're, we don't know what a good source of information is, and then when we get a good source of information, we don't know how to evaluate it. So as, as long as that's the case, I fear that we're not going to make any progress in anything. So no matter what you identify as an important topic, if we can't figure out how to identify and evaluate uh, good information well, I think the divide just gets deeper. So I've got two thoughts there. <clears throat> While Trump was still president, he made a statement. I think this was in regard to COVID-19, actually, that his gut instinct was better than the experts that were reporting to him. Words to that effect. A lot of your listeners will remember this. You probably do. Yes. And that resonated with his high school educated um, working class base. By the way, don't have a problem with high school education and don't have a problem with working class. I own a small business. I am working class. I do have a problem with the inability of a large part of the voting base in the United States not understanding how to vet sources of information. So that's the, that's the first bit and the least important one is that this idea of gut feeling is as good as any expert. But just yesterday, an article on CNN uh, first reported there. Uh, there's a report that the Department of Homeland Security decided not to implement an anti-disinformation and misinformation uh, task force. And as part of that task force, they were going to include um, protection for poll officials, for election officials. And part of that protection uh, was going to combat douching. So douching is where you release uh, the names and addresses and phone numbers of election officials. And the Department of Homeland Security decided not to implement that task force. So again, the two things that it would have done is help protect election officials and combat dis and misinformation. I, take, a, take a few minutes and talk about um, good information sources versus bad information sources. So 
one thing I didn't think I would ever live to see was something like QAnon being elevated to the place of a good information source for normal people, that normal people would ever think of that as a good information source. It seems like there was a time when we would have always chuckled at QAnon and put it aside and treated it as the sideshow that it was. But, you know, you and I watched it happen uh, with Jaw hitting the floor, watching QAnon become more trusted than uh, established news organizations. Uh, so what, help me, help me help the audience, uh, think through the difference between a good source of information and a bad source of information. Okay. Uh, I'll be a little tongue in cheek first. If you look at your source of information and you say to yourself, that person is probably going to end up with their name on a Supreme Court opinion and end up behind bars because it's not very likely that they know what they're talking about. It's probably not a source <laughs> that you should depend on. Okay. Uh, but, but see, that is actually what's happening right now. The, the January 6th rioters are the people who pinned their hopes to Donald Trump and QAnon. And they are behind bars, more of them every day. So uh, you mentioned Donald Trump here. Uh, it seems that we shouldn't talk around the, the, the big election lie that the election was stolen and Sidney Powell and the the lot of them, uh, the the thing that the Democrats call the big access lie. Access to voting machines in Georgia and Michigan and Arizona, the the fraudulent uh, cyber ninja group, and the. The partisan vote counting. The, the connection to Chavez somehow. <laughs> Dead Chavez. I mean, I, <laughs> but, it's, but it's so much worse. See, you almost have to joke about some of this. Because the QAnon conspiracy actually made substantial changes to voting regulations in red states. 17 of them at last count made changes to voting regulations as a result of a fair and accurate 2020 election. Right. The, the upshot of the big election lie is that it will actually be harder for uh, minorities and such to vote legitimately in more places. It's going to be harder for the blind and physically handicapped. Uh, it will be harder for the elderly. But I'm okay with that block because a lot of them voted for Trump. 
Sure. <laughs> sure. Okay. But, okay. but you know, but you're, but you're saying something that uh, dovetails with what I talked about earlier, the, the coalition. What I didn't say is the, the Democratic coalition is the coalition of the weak. It, it, there's no group in the coalition that is particularly strong. It is the coalition of the dispossessed. Uh, and so, you know, we, there's a lot of them, and so we can win every now and then, but none of them are particularly strong, and they're not particularly unified. And, um, yeah, the, the Republican Party has targeted the weak, those on the fringes, if you will, those who are most likely to vote Democrat, and made it harder for them to do so. And, and that, is, that is literally what has happened since the uh, election. So the thing that I was going to ask when I brought all of this up was, is, is this. How would you advise, you know, just go back to that time. How would you advise people to evaluate whether the big lie was actually true or false? Because a lot of people you mm -hmm. know and a lot of people I know who were also very intelligent and otherwise decent human beings fell for the lie. They fell for it. And and we watched it happen thinking that no one no one in their right mind could fall for this, right? And they could and they did and they're still doing it and um I want I want to know what we could have done differently, what what educational resource we could have provided to to say, look, here here's the good information that you need to uh, be reading and this stuff is bad information here's why it's bad information how how, how do we change that uh, in the past how do we change it for the future okay a couple of thoughts first if you're going to get your news from popular news outlets which is perfectly fine get it from more than one I, I am going to beat up on Fox News a little bit, uh, but only, only a little. So it's pretty well studied that um, people that get their information from Fox News actually know less operatively about the subjects that Fox News is reporting on than those people who watch no news at all. Mm. Now, why is that? Because Fox is not just reporting on the news. They're editorializing with a particular slant. And that particular slant is so far off toward the border of the map that it is creating disinformation in their viewers. Mm. Okay. But that's it. I'm not saying that it's impossible to read Fox News and get some of your news. Just don't let it be your only source. Oh, if Fox the... is your newsroom, sorry, go ahead. Oh, last sentence. If Fox is your newsroom, just use more than one room. Yeah, what I was going to say That's is uh, Fox is good for football commentating. Uh, uh, yeah, very good. <laughs> so uh, they they do football well. Their music is better. 
they're really good for uh, the NFL. That's about so it. So the second thing, <laughs> there's a big deal about Dominion voting systems and other voting machine manufacturers. There's a great deal of concern that hackers, nameless, faceless hackers, this unidentified cabal of hackers was going to tamper on mass with voting machines to tilt the election toward Joe Biden. Well, the problem is, I, I've actually talked to people that believe this. And the people that I've talked to didn't know anything about voting machines or how such hacking might be done if it was possible, et cetera. So my second piece of advice is, if there's something you fear, learn about it. Don't, don't just take uh, Tucker Carlson's word that our voting machines are at risk. There are actually conferences that you can go to. There are hacking conferences where we, where we try to hack voting machines. Everybody in this audience knows about DEF CON. Okay. Or, or not DEF CON. Def, uh, uh, the, you know, the black hat. Las Vegas conference. every year. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> but the, the point is, you don't have to go to the hacker conference learn about voting machines. But you should learn something about hackers hacking, hacking, hacking techniques because it's not just your voting machines. This is, this is part of your daily life right now. So that's the next bit. Uh, learn about the thing that you're afraid of. Thoughts there? So I would um, I would add one, uh, a log to that particular fire. Um, if you have a kind of a, a conclusion that you want to see reached, and you find yourself gravitating only to the sources that validate the conclusion that you want, uh, it should be it should be a sign that maybe um, you have to start looking at some other sources because the, there's, there becomes a kind of a bias, uh, a conspiracy like bias that says, uh, look, here are sources that are validating me. And all of those other sources are clearly in on a conspiracy. They're clearly dishing out, uh, this one version of false information. Um, so then you be, then you just become a conspiracist without even realizing uh what's happening. So when I was when I was talking to Dale uh about this stuff, we had we had podcasts about this, so I'm not talking about someone behind their back or, or in a disrespectful way in case anyone's curious, but uh I remember uh you know the back and forth that we had on the board during that time and those boards uh still exist if anyone wants to go back and uh, read through them, but one of the things that 
what happened is each side would kind of post news stories and things like that, things they had heard. And, um, you know, the, the people who were thinking that the election was stolen, they would, they would post these comments or say things that, that make you scratch your head and say, where, where did you get that from? Can you show me the source? And the source... The sources more and more became these outlets that no one had ever heard of. Um, I was just kept, you know, it's it just it becomes this ever tightening ring of of uh, secret sources and unknown sources. Uh, you know, YouTubers who um, were supposedly plugged in and or these websites that you know, became quote unquote sources of information. And if I, if I were writing a news story, you know, for a newspaper, because I, that, that happens every now and then for me still, if I'm writing that kind of story, I wouldn't have been able to use any of the things that the people were uh, putting up at, as sources. It, none of it would have passed the, you know, any source criteria. And yet these were the kinds of things uh, that they were going toward. And I, I know that you remember this because we talked about this. There was a time when even Fox News fell out of favor as a source. Right, they, still are. They, 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 were, they became too liberal. Uh, I watched Fox News during the election more than the other sources. You know why? Because I wanted to make sure that I was viewing the other side uh, as fairly as possible. So I watched a lot of Fox News along with other uh, sources. Fox News was the first to call the election for Biden. So one more in this vein, actually there's several more, but the next one, if your news authority is using religious tactics to activate you, uh, you should be very concerned. If, if the guy you're getting your news from says he's a shaman, you should probably press pause and look elsewhere in your feed. QAnon shaman? And, and this guy had... Uh, is Boo Koodles a number? <laughs> yes, number, yes, it right? is. It's uh, it's just uh, slightly lower than a Google. Well, and and I'm pretty sure it's the only kind of number that the QAnon shamans followers understood. <laughs> but yet they have the right to vote. And there were people that walked away from QAnon that talked about the religious messaging in the movement. Donald Trump, Donald Trump is a, a savior, right? He, he is the redeemer of America. Somebody, somebody out there saying, but he never claimed to be a redeemer. He is the guy who's going to make America great again, right? right. I mean, that's a messiah that's, figure. Right. That's, that's my point. And, and so if you're being activated using religious tactics, you really should question what's being said. I'm not saying everything 
will be wrong. But it should motivate you to be skeptical. It really should. And your sources, you know, if you provide a source and the people who you're talking to say, huh, who's that? <laughs> who's, who's that guy? Where, what is, how long has that paper been in existence? Why haven't I heard it? If your sources become things like that, special people with secret information. Um, I'm not saying that there aren't people with information that other people don't have. Of course there are. But if that's your entire source list and no quote-unquote credible news sources have uh, been able to verify this, you should be skeptical because here's the thing that you should know about credible news sources. They are vultures. They, they are constantly trying to outscoop the other or disprove the other. They don't like each other. All right. CNN is not the friend of MSNBC. <laughs> they are, um, and, and if CNN can come up with some kind of exclusive that scoops the other networks and causes them to lose ratings and so forth, they will do it. And if, uh, and they don't care what the story is. So if they could prove, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, or at least by their new standards, that the election was stolen, they would have all loved to have run that piece. That piece would have made careers. They would have loved it. You got to know that every last one of them had people running that angle nonstop since the accusation came out. And the fact is, nobody could cooperate it. Nobody. When, when your story is based on something like that, that where everybody would love to cooperate it and nobody can, you should question the sources that you're using. So one more thought there, uh, very in parallel with that thought. If the object of the, of the messaging is a they that you are being encouraged to hate or to vilify or to commit violence against. You should question the messaging because I live in this country. I am not the enemy of Republicans. And Republicans are not my enemies. Republicans are my neighbors. A great many of them are my friends. A great many of them are my family. And if your messaging is just trying to set you apart in the same way that, that your Christianity might tell you that you're the only one going to heaven you should question the messaging. Maybe, maybe you're right about some outcome that will happen. But separation, putting the people on the other side in the position of being an enemy, of actually being willing to hang them, a la January 6th. 
being willing to take the guns of police lawfully carrying out their duty, choking police officers with the straps on their helmets. This is not the kind of act of someone who wants to save a country. And if you think it is, first I'd like to talk to you. But second, I'd like to know what country you think will result from a civil war. What will you have better at the end? Okay. I'm going to uh, say one hour 29. That's a good place to end. Um, yeah, epistemology. Did we All of... talk about important topics? No. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> Look, I, I'm, I'm trying to think my way through this. I... I've landed on two things. One, I'm going to read uh, the equivalent of one local newspaper per week. And two, I'm going to probably do more shows uh, directly related to epistemology. Um, and three, I would really like to know why celebrity is so important to so many people. I think we've got more people who follow celebrity than, than who follow politics. Um, we didn't even talk about science. And and I know that if if we had unlimited time, both you and I would say that uh, some type of science study, continued adult science study, is important because uh, as we learn more about how the universe works, in other words, reality, I think the more suited we are to deal with reality. And if you have no connection with the study of the ongoing study of reality via the sciences in your life, um, you're just going to be more and more distant from reality uh, with respect to those who do follow the sciences and do gain a greater understanding uh, of how the universe works. So uh, that's one that we didn't talk about. Um, Maybe we should come back and just do an entire show on science because there are areas of science that I think are more important than others and uh, that I uh, that I follow. And so I think that it might be useful to talk about what we follow in the sciences and what uh, what uh, things in the sciences that we see are important uh, and that should be on more people's radar. I would like to do that show. Let's do it. Um, and... So hopefully when we when I do more talks about epistemology, I hope I can get you uh, there as well. Uh, and man, I don't want to re-prosecute this. I, I'm just going to say it anyway. Look, when I was listening to the uh, election, I was up all night with it. Um, and when the uh, allegations of uh, tampering came out, uh, I was like, oh, well, that's a serious allegation. We should look into that uh, because as much as I didn't want Donald Trump to win, 
I didn't want Biden to win on a stolen election. Right. I, right. I mean, I was, I was, I was, you know, almost as angry as Trump supporters when, when the allegations were first out, because my presumption was they wouldn't say these things without some kind of evidence. So I was, I was the person who was saying, let's look at it. Let's look at the evidence. Um, what is there some voter fraud in Georgia? Let's count them. <laughs> we got time. <laughs> you can recount them. Um, you know, and I, I followed that process very closely and you know, it took, it took about 48 hours, uh, really didn't take any longer than that, but it took about 48 hours of, of carefully looking at the allegations and the, you know, the, the responses and things to realize, okay, there's actually nothing to that. <laughs> um, we went through three, three recounts. That's three counts after the initial count was tallied and certified. But it didn't end there. <clears throat> what we have seen in the last year and a half, two years, as we have uncovered the actions between November of 2020 and January of 2021, what we have uncovered is that the illegal access and the illegal tampering and the, uh, the midnight election office break-ins and the uh, poll tampering wasn't done by Democrats. It was done by Republicans. Back in 2012, when the Tea Party was such a big deal, one of the big fears that they had about Barack Obama was that he would refuse to leave the White House, that he was cultivating and grooming a secret army so that he could become king of the United States. But Donald Trump said publicly, well, said to his inner circle that he was going to refuse to leave. Donald Trump wanted to activate the U.S. military to seize voting machines. His advisors Donald were Trump, advising him to do it. What's that? All of his advisors uh, that he kept around were advising him to do just that. Right. Including the They're, my pillow guy. <laughs> Mike Lindell. There are documents in the National Archives, memos, unsigned, but at least two memos with such a plan. It was Donald Trump and the Republicans with slates of fake electors attempting to certify state voting rolls for Donald Trump when he did not win. 
the astounding thing is that most Republicans would, would elect that bastard again. Right, because they still don't believe that the big lie is a lie. And, that, and that's, you know, once again, I, I mean, we can talk about religion, we can talk about politics, but at, the, at bottom, it's epistemology. <laughs> and at, right. at some point, a person wants an outcome more than they want the truth. Uh, and that's when it's crossed over and when you really can't do anything about it. I don't, I don't actually have a problem with people who disagree with me about even important things. I, I don't have a problem with a racist who actually believes that uh, people with light-colored skin are superior in some way to people with dark-colored skin. Because if a person is just honestly honestly believes that, then they're in the category of what I call uh, they just need to read one more book. You know, they're just they're just a little information away from having a better a, a different opinion. They just have bad information. A lot of us have bad information about things. We're wrong information, and what we need to do is read another book. And uh, you and I are constantly reading another book. <laughs> you know, so we're we're always doing that to to boost our our knowledge and protect ourselves against bad information and change our minds when we, when we encounter that other book that changes our opinion. But the kind of person who cares more about an outcome than the truth, that's a different category. They can't just read another book and come to better information because it's not the information that has them in their position in the first place. So you can give them better information and they will still care more about their outcome than the truth. And I think that that's what happened uh, with the Trump side of things. Uh, th this lie became more important than the truth. You had religious people prophesying Trump's victory even after he lost. The, the outcome was more important than the information. And so it, at that point, it can't be fixed by reading another book. Uh, and that's when you that's when you have a crisis. And I honestly believe that in this country, we have a crisis uh, of you know of all of the divides that we have. I just can't think of any of them where better information will help. I think that people who are evaluating religion, a lot of them who are on the bubble, they need more information, and I can provide more information. And so that's where I post my efforts. I can't provide more or better political information. I'm not a philosopher, and I don't do epistemology, um, you know, like like uh, like uh, Matt Delhoney. But I I do want to talk about it more. I do think that it is the most important thing in all of the divides that we have. Uh, and you know, for me, I I just work in the arena where I have expertise, but it's certainly not the only arena of importance. And those of you who are listening, you know, if you want to link to things that we're not talking about uh, on, a, on a particular week or show, but it's something that you think is important that, that we need to be thinking about, feel free to post those things because I'm always looking to read, read another book because the truth is more important to me than an outcome uh, every time. Dave, thanks for having me. Again, uh, I enjoy picking up a mic and getting to chat with you. Um, I, I don't know if we got to the heart of exactly the intent of this show. You know, we, 
but we did talk about some important topics, uh, even though I don't think we talked about the idea of important topics itself as much as we wanted to. But because we have reached a natural conclusion, I am going to go and spend a little time with my daughter. I think you've heard her in the background a couple of times. I did. Uh, I'm going to take her to the park. And then we're going to work on an old boat together. And we might even make it out on the lake this afternoon. Um, but I appreciate you. Thank you for this show. And, uh, you know, I, I look forward to being back. For those who want to disagree with me, they can reach out at the aforementioned email address. Well, look, join me uh, next month. Uh, let's tee this up again. Uh, maybe we can bring uh, some other people along. Um, because I, I think this is something that we should revisit um, more often. And we'll see how I did with my commitment to read one newspaper a week. Yeah, maybe it's time to uh, to revisit a roundtable. Uh, not sure how we do that at the moment, but <laughs> uh, yeah, um, mm, right. Uh, we'll make it happen. We'll, we'll make it happen. All right. Um, All right. So um, thanks, everybody, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.